All right, it's time for this. The Conspiracy Files on Tip Today. And uh, Ellie is with me and she has more conspiracies under her arm. What is it today, Ellie? We're going to talk about alien abductions today, Fran. Um, now, given I, I'm second-guessing myself, given today is, of course, JFK's anniversary, I was thinking, should we have done that as well? Mm. And we, we, we've we done it before we and have, we'll probably yeah. delve into it again. There isn't a lot of audio when it comes to that. That's the only problem. Uh, but I went on down the alien abduction mm. route. Um, it's because of a documentary I kind of watched a couple of weeks ago on the uh, revelation from the New York Times and all the posts that have come out that essentially now the government accepts the fact, well, the US government accepts the fact that UFOs or UAPs, as they call them now, do exist. They're not quite sure where they're from or why they're here. But I think what it does is it shines a new light on what would have been the very high-profile cases of alien abductions. There are many thousands of people all around the world who firmly believe that they've been abducted by some type of alien being, that they were taken on board spaceships where they were subjected to painful medical examination. Interestingly, the cases of people claiming to have been abducted by UFOs really started around the 1950s, exploded during the 60s and 70s and have somewhat died down since. Now, there are a couple of reasons maybe for that, maybe kind of a mass hallucination. Some people believe that there was an agreement with some alien species and the US government at that time that in order to um, benefit from alien technology that a deal was brokered that they could abduct humans and animals and for do some research and for experimentation wow. in um, in payment for what they were teaching them in terms of technology. So there's a lot of different theories around it. But we're going to focus today on some of the most famous alien abduction cases. And we're going to start with Barney and Betty Hill. Now, Barney and Betty Hill, this case, it's often quoted as one of the first and most important abductee cases. A very interesting case. They claim they were abducted while coming home from a holiday at the Niagara Falls on September 19th of 1961. They're an incredible couple. I mean, they were in their 50s or so when they were abducted. And initially, what happened was they said they were driving on the road, they were coming home, their dog was with them. Betty spotted something in the sky that she thought initially was a really bright star and then she thought it started to move. So she asked Barney to pull over so she could take a better look at it. They were pulled over. She happened to have binoculars in the car so took a closer look at it. Could see that it was kind of a disc shape and they were watching it for quite some time. They got back into the car and then they claimed that this um, craft or whatever it was lowered from the sky and came right in front of them was very bright they stopped the car again got out of the car after that they don't remember anything Crikey. nothing they woke up three hours later on the road home they don't know what happened now they never said anything to anybody they thought it was strange they discussed it very briefly amongst themselves but they thought it was very strange Betty then started having serious sleep disturbances she wasn't able to sleep she said her skin felt like it was on fire. She was having nightmares that she couldn't account for. So she went to the doctor. The doctor couldn't um, explain what it was that was wrong with them or with Betty. Betty um, then asked if she could get maybe more help or see a sleep specialist. The GP himself knew uh, a hypnotherapist who happened to be just getting involved with UFO cases at that time. So Betty was referred to him and then under um, hypnosis, 
was able to, to give this huge story of how Barney and herself were abducted on the side of the road by alien beings, um, then ha- were examined. Um, there was some injuries to Betty as well. They were able to see different marks around her body and that's how they were able to ascertain it. Barney then underwent hypnosis and had the very same story. Uh, we have a little clip from Barney's initial hypnosis. This is it. I try to maintain control so Betty cannot tell I am scared. God, I'm scared. It's all right. You can go right on. Experience it. It will not hurt you now. I got to get my gun. Yeah, and he spoke about getting his gun. He had a gun in the car and he went to get it at the time, but he was told telepathically, and you will see that a lot in alien abduction cases, uh, there's no kind of verbal communication, it's all telepathic, and he was told to leave the gun where it is and to follow them. And they were kind of under their control. Now, I know a lot of people will listen to that case and be very sceptical, but what you need to remember, what makes this case so important, the Betty and Bernie Hill case, this was um, a mixed-race couple in the 60s they were not going to come forward with a story like this Ah, and draw attention to themselves. um, Knowing the kind of reaction that they would get from people. And also remember, Betty didn't come forward with the story. They didn't know what happened to them. This was a case they found themselves in. I mean, Betty went to, to see a doctor about sleep disturbances. So it's not like they ever looked for attention on it. Now, they were willing to speak uh, but they were at pains to say that they never made money for it and they never did. Uh, Betty then was speaking um, just up until her death. She died in 2004. Barney died just eight years after the incident. Uh, Betty remained very vocal up until the end. Here's a clip of her talking about the beings on the craft. We gave them different names to identify him. Now, I don't know if he was a leader or the interpreter, but we called him the leader. And then there was the one who did the testing. We called him the examiner. There were nine others who stayed out in the corridor, and we called them the crew members. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're on board. What, do you remember what you saw when you entered the craft? Did something must have taken, taken uh, you aback, saying, this is amazing, or what type of craft am I inside? Can you, can you describe yep. as to what you collectively remember? Yep. One end to a corridor. 
And then I was taken into a room and I had to step up because the floor, level of the floor was above the corridor and it was an oval shaped door like we would see on a ship. Do you remember at that point, did they specify what their agenda at that point was? Were you going Im immediately in for the examination or? They had taken us strictly to, to actually, they wanted to find out how we were like them or different from them physically. Mm -hmm. yep. Did you feel that you were chosen for this or you happened to be in the, the wrong area at the wrong time or the right area at the right time? <laughs> well, now I figure it was the right time mm -hmm. in the right area, but I think we uh, I brought it on myself, you know, I'm waving to him and yelling to him and hey, who are you and all. Um. You get into the examination room, you're separated from Barney. Right, he's taken into the second room. Your examination, and again all this comes out in later dreams and hypnosis, but uh, immediately do they remove your clothes and perform what happens? You'll have to. I'm I'm tainted by all the popular lore of abduction stories. Which well, see, I don't know anything about those stories. That's good. Well, you're better off. But uh, I I was taken into this first room, mm -hmm. and uh, it was quite bare. There was a small table. There was a stool, and then the wall, the door. There were doors in the wall that would slide back and forth. And they put me on a stool, checked my eyes, ears, nose, throat, my feet, my hands. And then he put me on a table and said they were going to check my nervous system. And they used some kind of equipment to do this. And then he tried to insert a needle-like instrument in my navel, which caused pain. So they stopped doing it. And... Uh, then the examiner left and went into the room where Barney was. Mm -hmm. What an incredible story. Yeah, poor old Betty. And incredible completely story. credible. Yeah. And her story never, ever changed from the early 60s. Another incredible story is the one of Travis Walton. Now, uh, I'm sure a lot of people might be familiar with the case of Travis Walton. He claims he was abducted in Arizona in 1975. While he was working, he was a logger at the time. He was missing for five days and six hours and his um, disappearance was very high profile at the time. Because he was working with a group of men uh, in that woods, five men that he was working with witnessed his abduction. They reported it to the police. The police didn't believe them. They were then um, suspected of murdering him and hiding his body. There was a huge search underway for Travis Walton. He then appeared five days later in a phone box. He made a phone call to his sister to say, come help him. He has been very vocal about his experience and it was made into a movie called Fire in the Sky, which came out in 1993. Uh, a great movie for its time. And even if you look back at how he depicts what happened to him on the craft, hugely traumatic and what was done to him. All he remembers, there was needles put into his eyes, there was needles put into a lot of parts of his body and he lost consciousness. He said it was like this transparent sheet that was put over him like a bed sheet but it wrapped very tightly to his body. They were able to cut a slit in his mouth and one of his eyes and were about to put another needle into his eye and that was the end. He doesn't remember anything else until he woke up in the phone box. He's been very vocal about it as well. He spoke to Joe Rogan about two years ago and detailed his experience. Here's just a little piece from that. So we're going with the Travis With Travis piece, Walton. Okay. It was real slow. It was dim. Uh, my consciousness was kind of like in and out for a while. I didn't know where I was. 
the pain and the feeling that I was mortally wounded, something, um, something was so wrong inside. I, I felt like I was dying. And this is what really fueled the panic when I finally laid eyes on these creatures. Uh, of course, you know, all of the uh, mental programming that we get from Hollywood that uh, aliens are invading monsters, you know, didn't help. Uh, but I instantly associated this feeling of, of dying with pain with them. So I was combative immediately. Um, Where were you? I was lying on my back on a raised table. There was a light above me. Um, it was not real bright. It was um, not so bright that I couldn't, um, you know, see the outline of the of the fixture. But uh, what did the um, fixture look like? Kind of like that, only much larger. <laughs> uh, just a soft uh, glow. And uh, in the movie, there's a little bit of striking on the part of the aliens uh, against me. Uh, that didn't happen. I lashed out at them. The one closest to me, I I felt really weak. I didn't have enough strength to, to do much. So when I... My arm contacted him. He just fell back very unexpectedly easy into the other one. And I rolled off the table in the other direction. And uh, they came around the table, and the three of them were coming towards me. And I just grabbed something from behind me, an object off of the uh, shelf there, and started swinging it at them. Travis Walton uh, there. Yeah, there was a lot of skepticism about that at the time. They felt that Travis was in on it with the, the people that he worked with, that they were all in it together because it kind of coincided with the National Enquirer had this huge competition running at the time that your best UFO story will get, I think it was $5,000 or something at the time. But all of those men, Travis Walton and five other men that he worked with, they didn't get along, first of all. They all hated each other, but they all passed polygraph tests straight afterwards. Um, still a lot of scepticism about Travis Walton as well, but it's still kind of regarded as one of the great UFO abduction stories. Mm. Now, when you talk about UFO abductions, you have to talk as well about the the kind of the academics behind it. And Johnny Mack would be someone who'd be very well known. He's a Harvard, was a Harvard University psychiatrist, Pulitzer Prize winner, and was the author of Abduction. He became a leading voice in that. He went into it very sceptical and it was through a referral that another um, psychologist wanted him to see somebody. And Johnny Mack always felt that people who claimed to um, be abducted by aliens, that they're suffering from some kind of psychosis or mental, mm. mental illness. So he went into it with that kind of understanding or that basis. But his mind was quickly turned when he started studying them and became one of the leading kind of academic voices in alien abduction. Here he is speaking in 1994. In this culture, evidence has come to mean some physical object right. that uh, we can measure, touch, uh, take photographs of and be certain of its pedigree, where it came from. But I suspect in something which is as unacceptable as a reality as this phenomenon, 
no piece of physical evidence would satisfy anybody. We'd be arguing that whoever found it was hoaxing it or making it up. But evidence can also come from other ways. Evidence can, in my discipline, psychiatry, and I played my strong suit in doing this, is evidence that comes from clinical discrimination. And what I found was... A discriminating look at clinical evidence. Exactly. In other words, you, you look and you listen to what a person has to say about their experience. And you say, what could this be? And nothing in my 40 years of working with people prepared me for this phenomenon. In other words, what people were telling me with doubt, incredulity themselves. No one has, in spite of what critics say, anything to gain, as far as I can tell, from this. Nobody wants to be a member of this club. They want to be found wrong, the yes. people that have had these experiences. They want to be told this can't be. They want to be told there's another explanation for what happened to you, and here it is, and therefore nothing's wrong yeah. with you, and you're not part of some... And these are, exactly, and these are people of sound mind, healthy people, by and large. They've been traumatized, many of them, by these experiences. But they're reporting in great detail narratives that are highly similar, which they have not gotten from the media. Most of these details are not in the media. They come forth reluctantly. They know who to talk to and who not to talk to, which is not true of people who have delusions, you know, or have come yeah. up with something which is a reflection of a, of a mental illness. And the only thing that I know that behaves like that is real experience, where something has actually happened to these people. Then the question is, what has happened? Right. And that's where I've taken it. All right. And that's uh, John E. Mack. Where do you yeah. stand on it after all uh, of this? I'm not too, like, I think people do have experiences. And what, what I have to say about John E. Mack was an incredible man and very vocal. Died mysteriously in 2002 in a hit and run in London. Did he indeed? He did indeed. He was also involved in, there was a famous um, UFO sighting at a school in South Africa, the Aerial School in 1993. He was involved in interviewing the, the students after that as well. So he's very well known in the industry. Like if you're looking at it, you'd have to say, well, if it does happen, why are they doing it? And there's a number of kind of reasons or, or theories for it. The most popular one is that they're doing it for research to see what we are, what our makeup is, and that would account for maybe cattle mutilations that we hear a lot of. They're doing it maybe for observation, that they are an intelligent race who are observing us, that we would be very low on the pecking order, a very young race in their eyes. Also another theory, we're an agricultural product, that we were placed here many, many moons ago by these alien species, and they're observing us and will harvest us when the time is right. Another mad theory is that they are, in fact, future humans who are coming here to observe us and look at us. Wow. And that theory is all like, it, you know, if we, um, if we evolved from apes, if you look at how we've evolved, like our bodies are smaller, our heads are bigger compared to chimps. When you look at the, the classic profile of the grey alien, their heads are very big, their bodies are very small. So maybe that's how we evolved. They're going to be very disappointed because when they come back for us in our entirety, we're full of salt, sugar, drink and... Uh... <laughs> and anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and deep anxiety. Yeah. Ali, thanks, thanks very friend. much indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.